Welcome to Social Media Know-How, the podcast featuring the greatest minds and brands in the world of social and digital marketing. And now, your host, founder and CEO of Link Humans, Jorgen Sundberg. Hey Sons, Vaison, howdy doody, hurra lag it, how's it going? Many thanks for tuning in to Social Media Know-How, the Link Humans podcast. I'm your host, Jorgen Sundberg, and this podcast is here to help you improve your social and digital marketing. And of course, as always, I'm coming to you from my global HQ towers in a fairly mild London. It's the second week of March 2016, and it's been another busy week for Link Humans. We're all off to, um, let's see now, we're off to Switzerland, France, and Germany next week. So we'll, we're doing three days on, on the continent, as, we, as they say, and seeing some clients out there. So really looking forward to that. And I, in fact, I might even do this podcast from, uh, from uh, who knows, Germany or France, probably next week. Right. If you haven't signed up to our event, which is on the 24th of March with Crimson Hexagon, all about social media analytics, please do so now. It's at socialmedialondon.co.uk. It's a free event and it's at Google Campus. So you don't want to miss this one. Also, as I said last week, um, I'm running a prize draw for whoever writes, uh, well, for someone that writes an honest review of this podcast in uh, on iTunes or the podcast app in uh, in iOS. So uh, there's a bottle of champagne in the in the draw, and all you need to do is to write an honest review. And uh, I really appreciate the, the feedback I get from reviews. So uh, it's um, yeah, just just um, do it, and we'll pick it up from there. And do you want to get in touch with me? I'd love to hear from yourself. Uh, just ping me an email at jorgen at linkhumans.com. If you have any pictures for um, ideas for this podcast, that'd be really useful. And um, this, um, this, this interview uh, today is um, it's all about creative trends. And I'm speaking to Jordan Rowland of Shutterstock. And uh, we're going to talk about things such as flat lay, boho, sacred geometry, and uh, my favorite, metallics. So stay tuned for that. But first, I'd like to share a little quick and actionable tip of the week. And uh, yeah, let's uh, do it right now. Okay, yeah, so I delivered a social selling training in London today for a record company, actually, which was very cool. And um, I realized that, uh, of course, salespeople are very competitive and uh, they, they like to benchmark themselves, whether it's sales figures or performance against quotas and so on. And um, one way of doing this in, in, the, in, in a social term is, um, is, of course, to look at your LinkedIn profile and perhaps comparing your number of connections, looking at whose content is performing the best. But there is a more scientific way to do this, and that's something called the LinkedIn Social Selling Index. So it's a little bit like Clout, if you're familiar with Clout, Clout with the K. Uh, basically, this uh, Social Selling Index gives you a score from 1 to 100, and um, yes, yeah, and it's over, I think it's based on four different categories. Let me have a look here. Yeah, it's about establishing your professional brand, finding the right people, engaging with insights, and building relationships. So that's the score from 0 to 100. I've got 81, which I'm, uh, I'm proud of, but I have seen people with scores over 90. It also tells you what, um, what percentage you rank in, uh, for, in, in your own uh, industry, as well as your network. So have a look at this, and I would say 
use this to check your trend. See if the score goes up or it goes down or if it just stays stays the same. If it stays the same or if it goes down, then you're probably not doing the right things. If it, if it ticks up a little bit over time, then uh, yes, you, you're doing all the right things. Uh, so uh, don't, don't get too hung up on what your number is now. The, the, the more important thing is like, where is the number heading? So check this out. It's at linkedin.com slash sales slash SSI. And I will put a link in this to, in, in the show notes, of course. All right. So with that, it's time to transition to this week's interview all about creative trends. Jordan Rowland, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Now, tell us about Shutterstock and your uh, role there. Yeah. Um, so Shutterstock uh, is about 13 years old. Um, it started out as a stock photo company. Um, and since then, over the last 13 years, it's kind of grown into a, we kind of call it like a creative marketplace. They basically have asset types that can help um, a lot of facets of the creative community. So for agencies or marketers, um, we give a lot of, you know, we have a lot of asset types like photos, videos, illustrations, music. And what we do is we try to find ways to partner with, uh, you know, agencies or marketers to use these asset types in their projects. And a lot of times what this does is it helps um, efficient workflow. It helps people that are starting a small business get their websites off the ground. Um, so we, what we do is we provide ways for creative individuals to get their businesses started. Great. And I can disclose that we're uh, ha- happily partnered up with you guys and uh, we cool. use your uh, imagery for three different sites and it's, uh, it has really good effects. Uh, could you tell us about this um, creative trends research? What, basically, what is it and uh, how do you get this? How, what's the methodology behind it? Yeah, so, um, so it's interesting because about four years ago, this project started. And what happened is the internal graphic design team, which is what I was part of, we started noticing a lot of visual trends popping up in the agency. And so what we do is we, we share work around with each other about what are some of the big brands in the industry doing and what are some of the big agencies coming out with in terms of commercials or print ads or web advertisements. And on our own, we just started seeing trends pop up. So what we did is we have an internal uh, infrastructure data team. And what they do is basically every time a user comes to the Shutterstock website, you know, we look for, we see what they're searching for, we see what kind of things they're downloading. And so what we did is we took these trends that we saw, went to the internal uh, business uh, data team, and what they did is they showed us a year-over-year increase of if these terms were trending or spiking and how often people search for them. When we noticed that for these trends that we had just kind of organically seen as a team were directly correlating with some of the most searched for terms, it got us thinking that, well, throughout this next year, if we see other terms starting to spike in a similar style that these terms had been, we can actually start to predict what some of the visual trends would be for the next year. So at the, you know, this is, this would have been my first year four years ago. So at the end of that year, we decided to look at what these new terms were. And then in the kickoff of my second year, so that would have been 2013, we came out with our first 2013 creative trends where we started actually predicting what the trends were going to be for that year. Cool. And uh, I've had a look at the uh, the results for 2016, and I know they, they I think they're broken down into five different categories. But could you give us the 
top four trends making an impact around the world to begin with? So yeah, so the top four global trends right now is a term called flatlay, a term called boho, a term called sacred geometry, and another one of metallics. And uh, flatlay, for example, is it's kind of a, a visual style where you basically envision like a camera overhead on a whole bunch of objects laid out and organized. Oh, um, yeah. Boho is a kind of a combination of like a 1960s hippie style but has a modern aesthetic where they use floral patterns or a lot of um, types of combinations of natural elements mixed with a lot of contemporary visual styles and colors. Um, sacred geometry is this idea that, um, and it came, it came, you know, sacred geometry is really interesting because it's thousands of years old, actually. And the whole idea is it's rooted in a lot of religious thinking of that all the all the elements in the natural world, like a flower or a rock or a mountain, have actual mathematical qualities and shapes to them. And basically, what they were doing is drawing these geometric shapes and combining them with natural imagery. A good example of how sacred geometry is used in contemporary um, art and design is the new cover for the Coldplay album. For example, mm -hmm. uh, the symbol on that cover is sacred geometry. And then metallics, we saw a spike this year in terms of the fact that uh, wearable tech was really, really big um, in 2015. And then in 2016, the aesthetics of wearable tech are starting to kind of bleed into the art and design and fashion world. So there's a lot of organic fabrics, but they'll have a more metallic or metal feel. And we've noticed that that was inspired by a lot of the wearable tech of 2015. So... Uh can we assume that Coldplay's designer they used to shut the stock uh, stock image for for the um, cover? I tried really hard <laughs> to see if I could find a similar image. One thing I find that's pretty interesting about uh, sick geometry, for example, and and how universal and how long it's been around is um, there was like a, a metal hardcore band um, from the UK that came out with an album back in like 2014. Um, the name of the band is Bring Me the Horizon, and they used. An almost identical symbol to the one on the Coldplay album. So it's pretty ah. fascinating to me that uh, like, like a metal hardcore band that has like a kind of dedicated but somewhat smaller following and then Coldplay, one of the biggest bands in the world, can use a lot of similar imagery. And that kind of speaks to, to how trends can kind of come and ebb and flows throughout uh, year over year. Right. Okay. And I should say as well that uh, I'll put a link and I might even embed some of these, this imagery into the, the show notes so that uh, our listeners can have a look at this. And uh, I think I'm just looking at the global trends right now. And I think the flat lay is probably the one that people would be most familiar with because you see a lot of these on, on Instagram where, I don't know, ingredients for a smoothie or uh, components of a watch or something, they're all laid out on a, on a on a nice, um, cool, probably like a, a wooden background or something. Yeah, they use um, they use wood, or they use a lot of time for food. They use a black slate right. because the black the rock underneath will make the colors of the food or the ingredients pop. Um, that was this is another flatlay is another interesting trend where um, you know, Squarespace, the the templated website company, yep. had a commercial come out two years ago, two or three years ago, um, where it was an overhead camera with hands preparing stuff, and the hands were preparing different things. So once it was someone making food, and another one it was a person drawing, another one it was a person drumming. And this was one of the first times in the actual advertising uh, creative space that this technique had been used for a company. Um, and then what was interesting was seeing how it went from just that one commercial to 
you know, UX and UI website design elements started having their shadows look like it was flat lay. And then the next year, fashion designers were laying out their clothes in that same style. And then the, the foodies were laying out their ingredients in similar styles. So you saw a trend start with a commercial. And then through the next few years, it started seeping its way into almost every single type of industry it could. So now this year, one of the big things we're seeing is even normal everyday people are arranging their desks in a flat lay type way and taking a picture of it for Instagram or it's fully saturated at the point where it's part of kind of the zeitgeist right now and, and the cultural mindset. Cool, yeah. Right, and uh, if we look at visual trends around the world, what, um, what differences can we see and uh, yeah, what are the trends in different countries? Well, for me, one thing I found pretty interesting about the visual trends around the world where you can see things like in the United States, data science is really big. And when you see a lot of like the tech companies in Silicon Valley and in America, um, that makes sense to me. But then you can also look at a place like France where climate change is a big thing there. So you're, you're getting you're kind of getting snapshots on how different countries are viewing these terms. And then when you're looking at big things that are happening within those countries, a lot of times that kind of makes sense. Um, the one thing that stands out to me that's kind of interesting about that is apparently French bulldogs are amazing in Spain because that was the most searched for term there. French bulldogs. And uh, yeah, in, in Japan, uh, there was a thousand percent increase in monkey. Yeah. So, um, I mean... That, like little things like that are kind of interesting because you can have all of these like, you know, you can sit there and talk about data science in the United States and then you go, oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. And then you're like, oh, well, French well, bulldogs on. in Spain. So, <laughs> yeah. OK, so what's the UK one? Po po polygonal? Um, polygonal. So that's um, basically it's it's a type of visual style where um, if you look at like an object, like a, a circle or or anything that could have a, sh a shape and a shadow to it. Um, when you break it down to basic, basic shapes, so if it's complicated like a, you know, a can of soda, um, there's a lot of different shapes that build it up. Um, instead of fully rendering the can of soda to look realistic, you break it down into very simple shapes and it kind of has a polygon look to it. And it's just a visual style that's kind of popular right now. Great. Okay. And if we look at cultural trends, so they are two very different trends that dominate our culture this year, according to the report. Can you please elaborate on the two? Yeah. So for cultural trends this year, one thing that we saw was that there's a big push and pull of always being connected and it's always being connected to our technology, whether it's always checking our emails on our phones or wearable technology like the Apple Watch. But then we saw, you know, the counter to that starting to pop up a lot too, where terms like wanderlust, which is the desire to want to travel yeah. or mindfulness or, or wellness. And so we're seeing people embrace technology because it's really hard to live in this world and society without having some sort of tech on you. But at the same time, people are really trying to get back to nature and trying to figure out ways that they can have their technology, but then also figure out ways to have a better, healthier lifestyle or kind of travel more and try to disconnect themselves. Um, and for me, that's really interesting because it's kind of like you, you embrace the fact that you can't get rid of technology. And then at the same time, you try as hard to get rid of it as you can. Right, yeah, and I can see adult coloring books went up by 48% last year on the yeah, that's, yeah, unplugged section. It has been, and that's one thing, one thing that's really interesting is people will take patterns 
and, and geometric uh, layouts, and they'll design them on a computer. But then they print them out, and then they'll color them in with uh, colored pencils or crayons, and they'll do that in a physical world. So I've actually seen people, and there's some textile friends of mine who are, um, do this for a living, where they'll actually digitally design their layout, but then print it out and color it in by hand. Wow. Okay, that's one way to do it. So, uh, I don't know about the US, but in the UK, the uh, the the most popular Christmas present was uh, adult coloring books, and they were basically flying off the shelves, and people were people were up in arms because they sold out before Christmas. They were um, they were definitely huge in the states too, and then they started actually taking movies and TV shows and storyboarding out what those movies were or taking scenes from those movies and making oh, wow. them black and white and letting people color them that way. So it was a, it was a weird combination of the adult coloring book trend and uh, people in the United States' fascination with pop culture and movies. Yeah, yeah. Right, and what have you got to report on the design trends? So for me, the one thing that kind of stood out for design trends that I find incredibly fascinating because – um, in the report, it's a 909% increase from last year to this year, is this term called material design. And what's fascinating to me about this, and even as being a designer, where I find a lot of the interest in this is material design is a term coined literally last year by Google on how their UX and UI team was going to start to approach how they designed apps within the Google infrastructure. And what they did is... They basically think of um, your Gmail app for, on your phone, for example. They took the way Gmail looks and they printed it out on pieces of paper and they recreated the app in a physical environment. And then what they did is they shined an overhead light on that paper structure they built and they saw where the shadows were hitting and they used that as a reference to redesign a lot of their apps. So the term material design is coming from they're using a digital UX UI design methodology, but all of the shadows and how the objects lay on top of each other are mirroring how they would if you built it in real life. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. And that, that was a huge trend. Okay. And if we look at uh, moving imagery, video trends, what happened there? Um, it goes back to nature. So video trends this year, all of the key terms either had something to do with elements or had something to do with nature itself. So nature is one of the most searched for terms. Fire is one, water is another, and then beach is the final one. Um, it goes back to like we were talking about with that dichotomy and the cultural trends of connected versus you know unplugged. Um, in video, a lot of times we, we notice this this year, people are searching for video terms and clips of the natural environment, of overhead shots of giant sweeping landscapes. And you can even tie that back into how drone photography is huge this year. So people oh, yeah. have access to be able to shoot in areas that they wouldn't normally have been able to. And so when you have a new piece of tech, what do you want to do? You want to explore the places you couldn't explore before. And for drones, overhead shots of giant sweeping environments is kind of like a, a go-to for people. And um, so you can kind of see interesting balances between how um, something can peak in a cultural trend and then influence the video trend as well. Yeah. Okay. Get it. Great. And uh, what about the audio trends? We're on a podcast, but what's, uh, what's, what's going on in the music world? So for music trends, one thing we found pretty interesting was a lot of times um, brands or companies will use a lot of our music tracks for their videos. So they'll, they'll shoot their whole video and have everything done without any sound at all. And then they'll use a music track to complement whatever message or theme they're trying to do. 
And so it, it's kind of tied to advertising. When you look at a lot of the trends, there are a lot of positive trends like bright and colorful and uplifting. And those show us that people, while showing these commercials or showing their ads, they want the person viewing it to have a positive feeling and kind of have a, you know, a really positive mentality. A lot of times we'll kind of use a correlation between, well, they want people to think their brand is cool or hip or fun or feel positive while looking at their brand and not have a negative connotation when they're watching an ad. So there's kind of an emotional reason they would do it. And then also um, in the beginning of last year, there became a slew of ads that came out that were pretty um, – the, 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 there was a term that was coined called sadvertising, where brands were trying to hit people from an emotional level, and they chose to go on a bit more, I want to make our customers feel empathetic or, or maybe hit them with a little bit of a sad feeling. So when we look to that as trending last year, then people are kind of pushing back this year and going towards the opposite end and doing a lot more positive, uplifting um, types of music cues. So these music cues, I'm thinking, I can see three words, so bright, happy, and uplifting. I'm thinking like whenever Facebook, they launch a new feature, there's a 50-second video clip, and it's all, all it's the same little track, like a little, like a little piano tune, or that, that, that's, it's like a build-up, and it makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, definitely. Because, um, I mean, like, you got to figure, sometimes Facebook will un- unveil a new product that either, like, most people on the service level wouldn't really care about or they don't see how it can impact their lives. So Facebook has to kind of punch it up and basically go like, here's a new product that we have and it's going to be amazing and beneficial to your entire life. And using those music cues on a subconscious level can make people start to feel that without them noticing it. So it makes total sense on why, you know, Facebook would use that stuff for that type those type of announcements. Okay, great. And the final one is social trends. What, uh, what are you seeing there? So social trends basically goes back to what we're seeing in cultural trends. So some of the more searched for things are human scale, color and nature, and atmospheric. Um, The one linking thing between all of them is they all have to do with nature. And then what we also start to see and dig in is people really like seeing the vastness of what the natural environment can look like. So, you know, and how we came up with these social trends, what we did is uh, as a visual company, we have various social channels that we use, we started seeing how people engage with certain images on certain social networks. And then we looked to our data on the the infrastructure side, and we were seeing the very same correlation in what images were performing well in our social networks. And it's a lot of people being very small next to really big things. Like (laughs) it's like a person hugging a, uh, a redwood tree in California, for example. Right. And what would you think is the underlying message there? You know, I think for me, people are trying to get back to a connection to nature. And also, like, there's an accessibility of phones now. So, So when people are traveling, you know, the camera quality on an iPhone is great. And not only that, but your video quality on iPhone, you can shoot 4K. So people have technology and they're going to these remote areas of the world and they're able to take a picture of it quickly, share it to their network and people are starting to see parts of the world they've never seen before and I think the vastness of some of these areas are getting people excited because it makes them, I think, one, feel like they're there or two, compels them to want to start exploring themselves and so I think it's people using technology to kind of showcase a lot of beautiful aspects of our natural environment. 
Yeah, great. So, so that's the the report for this year. And but, what would you say would be are the main takeaways for for your average social or digital marketer for this year? I think it's all about getting back to being personal. I think that a lot of what we're noticing in these trends are. You know, people have a lot more access to, to technology and brands are very aware of that. And even on a social network, if you have a bad experience with a brand, you'll be able to say that to your friends on Twitter uh, very quickly. And so brands are starting to try to go back to having a lot more of a human face. You'll see brands and companies really start emphasizing a lot of these natural popping colors. And, you know, if you look at something like Boho, for example, which is taking a, a 60s you know, um, hippie flower child aesthetic, people are like companies and brands are starting to try to use visual cues for nostalgia, but then mix it with contemporary technology. So I think you're going to really start to notice contrast. You're going to start to see a lot of things like always connected, but unplugged, but it's all going to be kind of housed within a very personal, personable kind of casing as brands try to connect with their customers. Got it. Okay, great. And tell me about um, Shudstock and your own content marketing. How, how does it work? In, uh, what, what are some of the best um, channels for you guys? So for us, one thing that we found that's pretty interesting, and this is kind of blanket for any company, is you have to kind of figure out what your company is or what your company represents before you can define what channels work well for your company. So, you know, how did we get to content marketing at Shutterstock? Uh, advertising for Shutterstock used to be a lot about our collection size. It used to be about how many images or, or vectors or assets we were getting per second, per hour, per day. And it's very aspirational. We were really trying to empower our customers to go, you guys could do whatever you want. But also, it kind of came across a little bit vague. Like, well, what is it that they want and what can they do? And a lot of times we found when you don't have any kind of focus and you can do anything, people get kind of lost. So when we built out the content marketing team, what we thought about was, why don't we just show people how they can use our assets in cool and creative ways? So we started to use that as a framework of building a team where the team was solely dedicated on building original content with only using Shutterstock assets. We would put it out into the world and we would see how people were engaging with it uh, as we started really focused on this and reporting on it and paying attention to how customers and people were engaging with our content, it really gave us a good template on how to build a structured team. And then from there, we really started to know what channels started to work and what channels didn't work. And I think a lot of times companies really have to focus on what works for them and what stays true to their brand. And you'll notice a lot, companies think they need to be on every single social network work they that, that that's around or they all have to have a content marketing team and sometimes it just doesn't fit that brand and you'll see them force it and it just doesn't work um so i think first rule is you have to know what your brand is and what you represent and then that way you can know what channels or what teams to build out great so tell me what are your best channels that must be i'm guessing now instagram pinterest you, you would guess correct um <laughs> I mean, but I think that like our blog is another great channel as well. Yep. Um, what we've noticed is, you know, you take the term creative and instantly people think creative is like a designer or an artist or an ad agency. And what we've noticed a lot with people who engage with our content on our blog is a lot of people who just like creative things or feel like they want to try to be creative are hitting our blog too. 
And so we have two very different people visiting the blog. Some of them are just organic users who have never heard of Shutterstock, who don't really know what the quote-unquote creative industry is, and we have content for them. We have cool, inspirational pieces for them. Um, we have a piece going live, actually it went live at noon today, um, of a series of posters that we designed um, as a tribute to the pictures nominated for um, the Academy Awards, which is going to be on Sunday, and we basically took every movie that was nominated for a best picture and created a cool pop art poster for them. You don't have to have been a designer to appreciate that poster. But then we also have a tutorial on how you can half tone an image better or what's the vector and how to use it. Um, so that channel is working wonderfully for us, for our current customers and also potential future customers. But then, yeah, Instagram does great. Um, Pinterest is another really big one. Uh, Facebook is big for us and so is Twitter. Great. Okay. And uh, what um, if we look at technology, what are some of the best um, tech apps, tools out there for, for visuals, uh, well, visual and creative marketers? So um, for us, I can say the things that we use on a daily basis. Um, and then I can also give you a, a tool that I know that helped a lot of my friends and people on, on a lot of their personal sites. Uh, Squarespace is a great one if you need to get a business off the ground. Um, Squarespace is a templated-based website builder. Um, you don't really need to have any designer coding background at all to be able to do it. I've seen a lot of small businesses start their companies off of a Squarespace. Um, I think it's a great intro way if you want to start a business to get an online presence. Um, for us... Efficiency is really big. We come out with a lot of blog posts on a daily basis. We use Trello, which is a task management program. Yes, yeah, really. And good. what we do is we basically, as we take pitches for new blog posts, we have a column on Trello that's pitches. Once we approve them, there's another column for approvals, and we use Trello's task management software to kind of workflow what our week's going to be, how many posts are we going to have, making sure we're not double posting. Um, that's that's a big one. And then one thing I find pretty interesting for how our team operates is uh, late last year, Shutterstock came out with a little bit of editing software that was built internally into the website itself where you can crop images and filter images before you actually download them. And it's called Shutterstock Editor. And what we noticed was, you know, I'm, I'm the designer for the content marketing team, but for me a lot of times a lot of blog posts start piling up as I'm trying to crop photos for them and I just don't have enough time to do it. And a lot of our writers or editors just don't want to wait for me to finish them. We started beta testing editor a few months before it went live and it freed up my time to focus on some more big design initiatives and it gave our editing team the freedom to be able to start cropping and editing their photos without having to worry about uh, my timeline and how it fit into my workflow. So I find that the uh, Shutterstock editor tool is a pretty cool thing to be using, and it's something that we're going to be expanding on as the year goes on. Okay, you, know, you might hate hate me for for mentioning these, but what about some of the new startups in this field? Like, well, PicMonkey's been around for a while, Canva, and uh, there's Pablo as well from Buffer. Do you see anyone using these? Or are they competitors to you guys? I mean, for me, I look at it as... These are huge spaces, and I look at what Canva does, for example, and I I really like a lot of the stuff that they do. And you know, they have a a blogging platform called Design School, which is great for you know really helping people learn what is design, how can I be a designer, how can I grow my design skill set. 
Um, I think Canva is going after a little bit of a different customer than we are. And I think what we're focused on is just how do teams work well together? And if you're at a company that has five, 600 people in all these different departments, how can we get these departments to work as well together as we can? And so things like editor in my head are little tiny ways to make teams work more efficiently together versus a Canva is how does a budding small business owner learn a little bit of design or build up their business in a way that they want to become empowered and they want to become a designer. I think we're doing some things that are a little bit different. Yeah, fair enough. All right. And if we look at uh, brands that inspire you on social and digital from a, I guess, from a visual perspective, could you uh, name up to three perhaps? Yeah. Um, so for me, one of the things I find the most fascinating is the actual content marketing landscape and, and how young it is and kind of looking where it came from. And one of the big proponents of what this was and where it came from was uh, something called T-Brand Studio, which is the internal branded content studio of the New York Times. And I find that story incredibly compelling and interesting, the fact that the New York Times built out an independent part of their company dedicated to creating content for other brands. And they ha- they leverage a lot of their journalists there. So, you know, if you're a journalist, you're focused on thinking of a story, finding out and reporting on that story and then building the story. But the idea is, well, what if that story is about a company or what if, you know, that company wants to tell a certain story, but they don't know how um, T-Brand Studio helps them do that. So I thought that was an amazing way that the New York Times adjusted to the way that this industry is changing. And they ended up being one of the first people that started to do this. Um, another one for me that was really huge was Spotify. Um, Spotify is a great labs division where they're doing a lot of experimental stuff with music. And they ran a really great um, at-home campaign in, in the States uh, late December, early January, where they basically targeted cities in America that had a lot of volume of listeners for certain tracks or certain artists, and they painted murals of the artist's face in those neighborhoods and then had a number next to it of how often that artist was played in that neighborhood. Huh. So, so a funny right. one was um, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which is like supposed to be so hip and cool and hipster, uh, one of the most streamed artists in that neighborhood was Justin Bieber. So they, <laughs> they drew a portrait of Justin Bieber in the middle of Williamsburg and then they had like a tagline that was along the lines like, hey, Williamsburg, this is how much you've listened to the Biebs this year. Um, I thought that that was really great use of data and targeting specific locations and uh, neighborhoods. And then um, there's a website called Van Winkles that what they're doing I find amazing. It's a blog completely dedicated to sleep and what goes on while you're sleeping and what happens when you're dreaming. And the whole structure is about having a conversation about what happens in the hours that you're asleep because most human beings spend a predominant amount of their life sleeping. What's amazing about it is it's tied to the mattress company Casper, but it has no affiliation on it when you go to the actual blog. So Casper has created a platform dedicated to a certain topic that loosely is applied to their brand, but they don't put their branding on that website at all. You have to dig around a bit until you find it. Um, And for me, that's a really interesting experiment because they're basically building original content, giving it to people, but they're a mattress company. So I find that kind of duality pretty cool. Excellent. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Absolutely. Great. Okay, that's all the questions I had for you, Jordan. Where can our listeners learn more about uh, yourself, your work, and, uh, and Shutterstock? 
I mean, Shutterstock.com backslash blog. Uh, we come out with a po- like two to three posts a day. Wow. Um, for me, this I've been part of this team since it was created three years ago. Uh, I absolutely love it. I think the stuff that we put out is really amazing. Um, a lot of people here work really hard to do it. And it goes back to the thing I like the most about Van Winkle's was you don't need Casper's name on it to know that that content's good. And for me, the one thing I kind of pride myself on is you could put Shutterstock's name on the content we make or you could take it off and it's still valuable to people. Um, it's just that we were lucky enough to have you know, internally Shutterstock support the idea we had and let us publish this content. Great. And where, where do they find you? Where do you hang out? Pinterest. Um, well, I hang out. I kind of cornered the market on my name early on in design school. So my handle on almost any social network and even my own website is just draw, D-R-A-W, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N. So, um, yeah, so I was able to kind of get that name, draw Jordan, on almost any social media site there was. So I found myself pretty lucky to have been able to do that so early on. Excellent. All right, Jordan Rowland, thank you very much for your time. You too. Thank you. You feeling uh, creative now? Dying to test out some flat lay, some boho, some sacred geometry? Of course you are. And uh, I will be embedding the visuals to go along to that went along with this report uh, on um, in the show notes, so you can check out what's trending in your country and in your part of the world. So uh, yeah, really interesting stuff, really. And I'm looking forward to catching up with uh, Jordan with next year's results. Right. So final thing, please leave an honest review of this podcast and in iTunes, and um, I will uh, I'll put you in the running in the um, running for a bottle of champagne. And uh, if you're the winner, I'll also give you a shout out uh, of your website or your ebook or your webinar, whatever you want me to shout out, I'll do this on this podcast. So uh, please just leave an honest review and I really appreciate that. Many thanks for tuning in and uh, I will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Social Media Know-How with your host, Jorgen Sundberg of Link Humans. For show notes and more, go to linkhumans.com slash podcast and check out the hashtag SMKnowHow. My word of wisdom is sometimes the best things take time. A lot of times people or companies want to rush something or they see a success and they want that success but they're not willing to put the time into it. For me, the one thing I think it's the most valuable thing to keep in mind is always remember the best things take a lot of time, a lot of hard work, and a lot of investment.